All right, Caleb, you got my map? Hey, you can go ahead and put that up. We're gonna we're gonna look at begin looking uh, into um, as they leave. Last week we talked about um, as the Israelites were leaving and how uh, Egypt and God told them to uh, uh, to uh, consecrate that firstborn. And uh, and now in verse 17 of chapter 13 of the book of Exodus, we're going to start with God leading the people uh, on that. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. We'll look at a few of these verses. Then we'll go on and, and look at this trend uh, as they begin to move and go. Verse 17, now when Pharaoh had let them the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. Let me get my pointer, and we'll do some look up here. Where's the land of the Philistines? Do you know? Who are the Philistines? This is modern-day Israel up here in Canaan. The Philistines lived along this coastal region right in here, the Gaza Strip is still a main place uh, where the Palestinians live today, still a, a point of contention there in Israel. Uh, this is along the coastal highway, which is the main way from Egypt on up into the Mesopotamia area, in a way a lot of travelers would go. Well, the Philistines controlled a good bit of this area right in here. The Egyptians were always constantly battling them because it hindered their um, transition of, of goods and travel because that was one of the main ways. There was not a lot of shipping going on in this area. The Phoenicians up north were, were uh, shipbuilders and all. But if you notice the shoreline from Egypt all the way on up Israel, there's few, very few natural ports along that way. And therefore, they did not practice a lot of moving stuff at this time by ships it was basically by caravans with camels and whatnot so there was a constant battle up through there to try to keep this route open and not pay excessive taxes plus the philistines did not like the egyptians the egyptians were the powerhouse of the day and therefore so when god brings them out of the goshen which is this area around the the nile delta he begins to move them out from that point, and we don't know exactly where, because Migdal is up here. That's mentioned in a few verses down where God told them to go and place herself between Migdal and the sea, which modern-day archaeology would put it right there. The problem is we don't know if that's the Migdal of the Old Testament. Because a lot of times there were other places that carried those names that are not known to modern day scholars. So this green route is called the northern route that is a possibility because it does mention Migdal in some of these areas. And that would have put them crossing the Mediterranean Sea and through there and then to come down here. But the first, the first day's journey... The other routes are, this was a natural trade route this way and come up through the Negev. This is a very dry desert area. 
It's not a very good way. So a lot of garrisons, a lot of battles going on here. The Bible tells that God led them away from there. The red route is another possible route of coming to the south. And they believe that Mount Sinai was in this area. The northern route puts uh, Mount Sinai up here. The reality is we don't know. Okay? But just because we don't know, does that take away from the truth of the Word? Okay. So you can believe the Word of God. <clears throat> this is a contentious area with a lot of people because they said, well, we want it proven. Well, we're going back 3,300 years. <clears throat> I want you to find where Omaha was 200 years ago. Omaha was not where it is today. All right? Find where was Naples 150 years ago? Anybody know? Where? At the Wheatville Cemetery. That's where the settlement was. What moved it? First of all, it was not Naples. It was Bethel. Belton. Belton. It was Belton. When they first moved, they were Belton, but they couldn't keep that name because there was another name Belton, so they named it Naples. See how things change in 150 years. So now... Scholars take what they know of Scripture, and none of them can agree. There's no, first of all, where Mount Sinai was was lost. The last person in the Bible we know that went there was Elijah. And this is the argument a lot of them made that if it was in this up in this area, this well traveled area, why didn't more people in Israel know where it was at? Because it would have been easy to access. But if it was down here, it would have been harder to get to and it had been easier for somebody to lose it because it had been hard to travel from up here down to here. There are some, because this is a land of the Midians, that think it could have been even on this side of the, the Gulf of Aquaba. And in this, because this is a mountainous area, it's known for volcanics and all that. So right now, there's, there's no proof. There's several ways. Uh, this route brings them across the Red Sea. This route brings them across what's called the, the Reed Sea. This route would have brought them through the Mediterranean. I just tend to believe whatever God says it happened, and I don't have to be able to prove it today. I'm gullible, I guess. I just, God said it. I believe it happened, and I'm okay with that. He said, I was saved, and I don't know that, except through His Word. He said, I'm going to be with Him in heaven. I don't know that till I get there. But I believe that because His Word is infallible. And I believe that because when He saved me, and He redeemed me, and He taught me who He was, I learned to trust Him, and I trust His Word. So I don't need proof. I'm okay with it. I can argue and see the arguments on both sides of the deal. But don't let somebody distract you to try to take away from that because God said he led them away from the land of the Philistines. So that could have been south, could have been north, various ways to get them away from there because he didn't, the reason he didn't want them around there, he was afraid they, their faith was not ready to face the battles that would have been going on. Even though Pharaoh had let them go, if they went that northern route up that trade route along the coastal highway, they would have been involved in battles. They could have faced um, the Philistines. There could have been all kinds of chaos. And that's what I'm saying, folks. When God's leading you, 
Trust Him. He knows what you're ready for. He knows what you're up to. And, and, and so He'll lead you around danger until He's ready to take you through danger. Around and then eventually through. But He won't take you through the danger until your faith is ready. They've already been through a lot. 400 years of slavery being mistreated over 450 years or about 430 years since Joseph uh, had been part of uh, the court of uh, Pharaoh. And so they've been struggling. They had not heard from God for uh, over 400 years. Their faith was not ready for that. So God leads them away from that and to protect them. Um, and then in verse 18, it says, Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. The problem with this word Red Sea is the translation from the Hebrew into English because it very well can be translated Reed Sea, which would have been a lake. It's only about four or five foot deep at this day. Does that take away from the miracle? There was a God argued with a friend of mine one time. Oh, they went through the Reed Sea and it wasn't nothing for God to do. And he said, yeah, there's a miracle. that God drowned the whole Egyptian army in three foot of water. You know, okay, it's still a miracle. Uh, to have the water move back three feet and then be dry ground, that's a miracle. But God, whatever it did, but we don't know that 3,300 years ago, the Reed Sea may not have been a little deeper. There's a lot of sand around the Reed Sea. Sand blows, right? It washes when it rains. Lakes move. Any of you ever fished Jenny's Lake Slough? I know Mike had several. What did that used to be, Mike? It used to be the river. What happened? The river moved, didn't it? How long ago? Mine in your lifetime, it's always been there. But it moved. So would that be not uncommon even then? There is a, there is a spot above the Sea of Galilee uh, uh, that is completely silted in right now that you, in Jesus' time was, was a, a fairly large lake and deep. But it's basically nothing more than a marshland now. So that's why I'm saying you can't put a pin on it exactly where it was. But does that take away from God's work? Okay. That they were capable of going. He also led them away from traditional travel routes so it'd be hard for somebody to keep up with them. And there's a thing about following God as he's leading them, he's teaching them obedience. Because if he tells you to turn left, he's going to see if it may, it might not make sense to you, but are you willing to trust him? I, I need you to turn. You see, when he took them off the main travel route, he's developing faith. He's developing them into learning to Live and follow Him through faith. And that's exactly what He's asking us to do today. You're on a journey right now, whether you know it or not. 
It's called the journey of life as a born-again believer. And so when God's asking you to move or to follow or to trust or go through something, He's finding out if you are ready for that. And He's also there to correct you in that. And so that's what He's doing. Verse 19 said, Moses took the, the bones of Joseph. When, why, did he, why would he do some grotesque thing like that? A little more than ask, he commanded them. Because even when 430 years ago when Joseph died, he knew one day God would take them back to the promised land. Why did he know that? Who did God make that promise to? Who? He made it to Joseph. Not really. He made it to Joseph's granddaddy, Abraham. The promise was made to Abraham that the land of Canaan would be there. But Joseph knew this promise. Why did Joseph know it? Because Abraham made sure Isaac knew it. Isaac made sure Jacob and, and, and Joe, Jacob would know it. So really, Abraham is Joseph's great-grandfather. I missed a generation there because it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Joseph. But it was passed on about the promise God made and Joseph was so sure about that promise, he said, when y'all leave, take my bones with me. I want to go with you. Be, I want you to be buried. His, uh, Sarah and Abraham had both been buried. Uh, Jacob was buried in, up in the promised land when he died. Remember, Joseph asked permission from Pharaoh to, to take uh, uh, Jacob back up into the promised land. They were buried there. Uh, he knew, and that's where he wanted to go back home and because he knew that was their land. So God leads them around. They take these, uh, these, the bones of Joseph around. First of all, what you need to understand about the way they buried people then, I'll just throw this little grotesque thing in there. They didn't bury you in a casket. They would lay you wrapped. Uh, first of all, Joseph would have been mummified because of his position in, in Egyptian and, uh, and would have been preserved pretty well uh, for all these years. So it's probably a little more than that. But a lot of times when they buried something, then when the flesh had deteriorated, they would gather those bones up and put them in a box or something. We, we don't know whether he was intact or whether the bones or whatever, but it wasn't uncommon um, for uh, them to, to have access. They didn't bury them in the ground. Joseph would have been buried in a pretty elaborate tomb because of his position within the, the Egyptian government. And, and where God had raised him up, they're still digging up and finding uh boy that slipped slipped away from him uh, huh no, not our fact the, the, the encasement they they put the bodies in we'd call them a coffin, but uh no, I'm talking about the big box uh what sarcophagus yeah in the tomb would be the sarcophagus it, it, it's a shape of the body and it looks it'd be like a casket so they they would bear him so either way they carried him because of the promise god made to abraham and joseph was leading that and they honored that promise even 400 years later moses made sure of that because uh he needed to go home and stuff like that so verse 20, so they set out from Sukkoth and camped 
in Etham. Etham is one of those places we're not sure exactly where it is, but it's on the edge of the wilderness. Now, folks, the wilderness in this area is not jungle. It's desert. Very little water. The reason these trade routes were there because there were some, some fortification, but the main thing, it was water and it was accessibility. Um, you don't want to carry your camels across a lot of loose sand. They would look for hard ground where they could walk easily, and in certain areas that sand would bake itself into a hard clay. East Texas red clay in the summertime, hard as concrete. That's what they wanted. Why? It's easier to travel. But they would need the things such as water and various things in an easier trade route. But they'd also, God's lead them in a different place. We do know where Sukkoth is because it's still uh, there and we've proven. But some of these other areas, it's just uh, kind of up in there. Verse 21, look at that. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of clouds in my life, yet I've seen very few that glowed like fire at night and provided shade during the day. Matter of fact, I've never seen a one. Yet God gives them a visible sign to lead them and to guide them as Moses takes them on this journey. Why would God do something like that? Hmm? It brought comfort to them, but it brought physical comfort to them too. Not only a spiritual comfort, but the shade, protection, the assurance. See, God's not going to turn them loose on their own. That's what always bothers me with a lot of people when they get saved. It's like, all right, now I'm saved, and is God just going to forsake me? No. Folks, you went from being out of his protection to into his protection, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You may not see him in this physical form, but he's there. And we have the proof of that through our lives. So God's, remember, they had no real understanding because they had heard no word. They'd been slaves, God of Abraham, but they had not heard or seen him in 400 years. So God's building that faith. But this is, to me, the thing that I really struggle. A lot of people would latch on to that real quick. We just read here a few weeks, a uh, few Wednesdays ago. Remember when the, the 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 seventh and eighth plague began to come on? How the some of the Egyptians began to like the the hail. They began to listen. They brought their. They were learning, but others didn't. Same way with the Israelites. Some would learn and be obedient to God, and some would not. There was always some that's doubters, and there's some out there today, right now, that just will not put their faith and trust in the Lord. And uh, they put themselves in a dangerous place. 
What do we have to guide us today? What physical symbol do you have today? I can think of two. Huh? What? The Bible. That's one of them I'm thinking about. Let's see. What's... Oh, yeah. That back there. Is there any power in that old wooden cross? There's no power in it. But it's a symbol of who gives us power. It's a reminder of what happened on that cross. Don't think that's Jim best I remember you nailed that thing up there and it was it started out as some old lumber that we milled over on Tommy's mill. Where it's really Mike's mill, but they milled it. So that's nothing more than cedar lumber that came from a tree that was cut over on, on, on the Rains farm, hauled up there by some crazy preacher, and milled by some other crazy individuals that wanted to put cedar all up here. So there's no power in it. The power is in what happened on it. And that's where I, I want you to be real careful when you begin to ascribe power to symbols, because then you're on the verge of making a God out of something that's built by man. God is on what died on that thing, not the cross. So the, Hollywood already said when you come face to face with a vampire, you hold up the cross. Folks, if you washed in the blood, you don't need a cross. You got the spirit of God in you. So if you meet up with some of the, the, the what are they called? The, uh, the walking dead now, the, uh, the zombies. Don't worry about it. First of all, they're not going to be walking around unless God's raising them from the dead. But um, there's no power in the cross. It's a symbol of God. There's no power in this cloud. It was a symbol of of God being in their presence. It was still a cloud. It was still a pillar of fire. But the power was not in the cloud or the fire. It was in the God who put it there. Don't worship the cloud. Don't worship the fire. Worship the God who made it. And that's what it's all about. But humans, we love to try to latch hold on something we can see. And that's what leads a lot of people into some bad doctrine and bad beliefs because they begin to ascribe power to something man-made instead of ascribing power to God. And it happens very slowly and easily, but it's part of the deception. And that's why... Boy, I got to be careful. Am I ever careful, folks? Y'all know better than that. I'm just purity stupid sometimes. But um, when I was in Israel, I, I, I'm on a tour group with lots of variety of people. And I saw the way they acted. When we went to historical sites, actually archaeological sites, all they could say is, where's the souvenirs at? We want souvenirs. And then I watched them 
we we go down into a uh, in Bethlehem. We go down into we walk in this humongous church. I'm talking about this thing is fifty feet to the ceiling. Humongous. You say hello and they go hello back to you three or four times. Huge thing. And they said, "Come on down here. You've seen it uh, on a lot of the shows." And you go up to where the priest is, the podium area, and then you walk around back and you go down a little circle step. And down here at the bottom is a huge marble floor with a gold star in the middle of it. Gold star. And you know what they tell you? This is where Jesus was born. And I watched these same people that could care less about everything else fall down and cry and weep and, 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 and kiss that spot. And I think, get up from there. First of all, some man said this is where he, 300 years after he'd been born, and this is where it is, and now it's a marble floor. I mean, if if, if that was where the cows stayed, they were way better off than the cows that I know about. It's all a bunch of hooey. Y'all know what hooey is. It's next to pooey. But humans want something tangible to, to grab hold of and they want to worship that spot and in doing that they start making idols and they forget the God who caused all this to be in place and that's that's the downfall what I love to see because there's an old rock steps right there on the way to Caiaphas' house. And they said there's a real good possibility that when Jesus was captured at the Mount of Olives and would go to where Caiaphas' house was, that these are the stones he walked upon. That excited me. Because I said, this is where my Jesus came. This where my Jesus walked. I'm not going to worship these stones, but I'm standing there looking at the pathway he walked upon on his way to die for me. I'm not going to worship the stones. I'm going to worship the one that walked that stone. And it moved me. I got on the Sea of Galilee and I looked at the mountains and I said, when my Jesus was out on the Sea of Galilee, he saw what I'm looking at. That's excited me. But people get mixed up. But God gives us symbols to point to Him, not to worship. Don't worship this book. Worship the guy who wrote the book, and that's God. Don't worship the cross. Worship the one that died on the cross. That should be the reminder. This is the story of all that. Grow close to Him, not to something you can hold. Because there will be a day when you'll be able to hold Him, you'll be able to hug Him, you'll be able to kiss Him. You'll be able to fall down and worship Him. And you're going to find out it's a real being, and it's God Himself. And there will be a real Jesus that, you don't have to hear about, but you'll see. And he still carries the mark of the nails in the pierced side. He still carries those marks. But you worship him.
because the cross is not going to do anything for you. This Bible won't do anything for you praying to it. But you read that and you pray to the one who wrote it. It changed your life. You pray to the one who died on that cross. And here's what I'm going to make some people mad. Don't pray to the mother of Jesus. Pray to Jesus. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through any human being. you got direct access to the throne of God when you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No one else. You don't need me. You don't need anything else. I'm here just to help teach you, lead you, and guide you. And, uh, but you don't need anything. You are brought into the kingdom of God through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't need anybody to pray for you. You can pray for yourself. That's why I say, we don't pray for you, we'll pray with you. Because your prayers have just as much clout as mine does. We join together in prayer. We don't pray for somebody. Now, we can pray for these who are sick that are not here. But they need to be praying themselves. In the same way with you. We'll, we'll pray with Linda. We'll pray with Kitten and all those who are sick. We'll pray with them. But we're just joining with them. They don't need us to do anything that they can't do. But that's what makes us a family. We, we do it together. And when one's down, we lift them up. And we're there to carry them and help them so that they can carry us when we're down. That's what it's all about. And I done went 12 minutes over. But y'all started late. Huh? Well, excuse me, I was in there helping do dishes. I won't do that next week. I just won't even do your dishes next week. All right. How's that suit you fancy? I did. I was getting late starting and, uh, and stuff. But uh, I do appreciate y'all. Uh, enjoy this summer. But just because we're not feeding you don't mean you have to show up, not show up. We're going we're gonna to feed on them, feast on the Word of God. And I hope you gain something from it. If you got questions, write them down. I'll see if I can find an answer somewhere. But um, just love the Lord, folks. I think I hear Gabriel playing a little tune right now, warming up. I think I hear him. I know the horses are saddled. And there's a white one with a very bright saddle on there and and there's a there, there's this great humongous good-looking guy and he's got this thing tattooed on his legs he's king of kings lord of lords and he's getting his battle array on because he's fixing to come back and when he looks over and the father gives him the nod he's gonna look at gabriel and he said let's go any day now father we love you and you give us sign and symbols all around us of your glory, of your holiness, of your righteousness. But Father, may we never be guilty of worshiping the created things of life, but may we always worship the creator of life. May we be able to separate the physical from the spiritual. 
and know that the spirit that dwells within us as believers is the spirit directly from the throne that you've sent to empower us to be the symbol to a lost and dying world because just as we gain strength through your word and we gain strength for looking at this cross, they gain strength by looking at those who preach and proclaim the truth to them and set an example to them. And may we do that in all the things that we do every day. I know Satan's attacking this body even now in various ways, trying to discredit and destroy the witness that we have. And I rebuke him in the name of Jesus. I stand against him that you shut him down and exalt your name through this body of believers. And may this summer, in all that we say and do, may people come to know the salvation that's free and available to them if they'll just repent and turn to you and receive Christ as their Savior. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Y'all have a great week. Welcome, I guess. Thank you for coming and being with us. We look forward to having you anytime. And if uh, you need to know anything, ask us. We'll be glad to let you know. God bless you.